episode of the Balanced Blues Brothers podcast. Tonight I am uh, joined by Ola and Travis Tyler, and I'm your host, Travis Flock, and we have a big episode coming to you tonight, the Chelsea side at this episode, as termed by Ola earlier today. And uh, you probably have seen two wins out of two uh, against the Merseyside clubs recently with Liverpool and Everton. Chelsea went to Liverpool, got a huge 1-0 win, and it was their first win at Anfield's since 2014, since the famous Jose Mourinho season, uh, where he was running down the touchline, hitting the badge. And then uh, coming back to Sanford Bridge, we saw a lot of changes in the Chelsea side, including Kai Havertz as a number nine, as well as uh, Kurt Zuma getting a chance in the team. And overall, we, we saw Conte swapped out as well. And Tuchel kind of mentioned that there was this point about managing his minutes. And... From there, Chelsea go on and have a pretty comfortable 2-0 lead. And the one thing that sticks out for me from both of these matches is I just really didn't feel like we were ever in danger of conceding a goal throughout the entire match. And in either match, really, I think Liverpool was, they didn't have a shot on target till the 85th minute, I think is what I remember seeing. It was late in the game until they got a shot, a real, a real tangible chance. It's been the kind of the theme of the Tuchel era so far is that uh, we've had this incredible amount of defensive resiliency. And nobody has really been able to come up against us and present much of a threat as we now have only one goal from an opponent conceded, but we have two overall with an own goal. So I'll pass it over to you, Travis, first. You know, what were some of your thoughts and comments from the, uh, we'll start with the Liverpool match first and kind of dissect this one and then move into Everton. So for me, the Liverpool game was, I, I was more impressed by li- the Liverpool game than the Everton game, first of all, because it just had this feeling of what Chelsea used to be, where we could just go anywhere and not necessarily dominate them, but we always looked like we had a hold of the game. Like we always had control over what was happening. So Liverpool's in really bad form right now. And that doesn't, take away from the fact that they were runaway champions last year. And we just completely nullified them in almost every way. And I, I don't want to say Jurgen Klopp gave us too much respect, but the, the way they played against this played right into our plan. And we didn't really have to change a whole lot because they just gave us everything we needed. And that's great on Thomas Tuchel because he saw that and he kind of cultivated those moments where they would come out further and further and then we would just hit them on the break. And if Klopp's Liverpool wanted to play the way they wanted to play, they didn't really have any other way to do it. You know, If they wanted to mark all of our center backs and as we played out of the back, they would need all of their forwards to do it. If they wanted to stop our wingbacks, they would have to commit their fullbacks forward to do it. And even though they have a man advantage in midfield, three to two, we don't really use our midfield for more than just kind of like a backboard where you just bounce it off and then go back out wide. So they just had no answer to us. And for 
any team really, but especially us who had had such a bad run earlier in the season to just completely nullify everything that reigning champions wanted to do. And just, we made them look exactly like the team that they are right now, which is, you know, they don't really know if champions league is possible. I, I, I can't really pick any player that had a bad performance. Everyone was just phenomenal in that game. And like I said, it just showed a Chelsea of old that we haven't really seen. And we've talked about that before. And I think that's probably Thomas Tuchel's greatest achievement thus far is just that steal he's given us again. Yeah, you're right. I mean, they really didn't seem like they had any much of a threat and they kind of played into our hands. And offensively, I was really surprised at how they tried to counter our offense. Um, you know, we set up to, to use Werner in behind space and get into that. And Klopp played right into our hands. You know, he played to the highest defensive line he could, which just plays right into Werner's best strength, which is probably why we've seen so many struggles from Werner is because a lot of teams in the end of Premier League sit back. But moving to you, Ola, what were some of your thoughts from the match? I think Klopp made it quite straightforward for Tuku. He could have... He could have been more, club could have been smarter because, I mean, we all knew, we all knew Werner from Germany had a lot of space to work with. He had a lot of space to run into. German teams generally don't play low blocks. I don't think they do. I've watched newly promoted teams attack Dortmund like they were, like they were Bayern. So they don't really bother about low blocks that way. So it's not surprising Werner had that much space. And I also noticed Werner took generally more shots at, at, at Leipzig, so he missed a lot and scored a lot. At Chelsea, he doesn't get as much space, so the few shots he's taking every match, he's missing most of them. And club just... We, we all knew anyway, to be fair to him, his philosophy has gotten him this far, his tactics have gotten him this far, so I don't expect him to change it now. But it was just that Jorginho long ball to Werner where he was wrongly ruled offside. It was a bit surprising for me because you could see you could see that happening all game. It, it didn't happen that often, but you could see the possibility of it happening. And that was exactly what Tuku was hoping for. And Klopp just kept the high line. He just kept the high line there. He kept centre-backs that are not that fast. And Werner just, we, we didn't pick out that pass to Werner often enough, which was surprising for me because it was, it was just there for the taking. I think the Liverpool game was, we, they did threaten us. They, they are the champions, they should. That, that's, that's not surprising at all. But apart from the Salah ball where Mane kicked air, I don't remember any other chance that would consider that. You know, put my heart in my mouth, per se. So I think we're quite comfortable in that game. I think we we we, we looked comfortable comfortable enough to have scored more than one goal on the night, and not just the not just the wrongly not just the wrong offside call. It was refreshing for many reasons, and and one of it being that our our last five games we haven't won, and our last four games against Liverpool we've lost before before that victory. So. That particular game was breaking the hoodoo, should I say. Because even when Liverpool have been in bad form, we lost. When they've been in good form, 
we lost when they were still rolling teams in the league. They beat us. So it didn't really matter what form Liverpool were in. So that was, it was good to get that win over them. And at Anfield too, that was quite that was quite impressive. Going from what Ola said about, you know, this was a, a, a pretty predictable lineup from Chelsea. I didn't really see any shots either. And I think that Ben Chilwell has shown some quality again already at left wing back. And and I'm not I don't know if that surprises anybody because he has the athleticism, the the age, the skill over Marcus Alonso. Just Marcus Alonso is a little more of a, a roll of the dice, right? A little more of a high risk, high reward option. And th- that's kind of been the case for him, I would say, since 2017, 2018 season. That's kind of how it's been. But the thing that I think for Liverpool, although it's a great win for them, I mean, they're in awful form and they just lost to Fulham again uh, at home, six straight home losses after Fulham and Chelsea beat them. And I, I feel, I don't know about you, Travis, but I feel like that overall is going to give us, you know, a lot going forward. That's that, so one of the big dogs, you know, that, that would, the, I mean, the reigning champions that, that have dominated English football and, and continental football more or less uh, for years now. Yeah, I mean, it clops Liverpool right now is looking a lot like his uh, Dortmund did at the end where, I mean, and they had a lot of injury issues too, and that was a whole lot of the reasoning behind why they fell apart, but it's happening again with Liverpool. He's got a ton of injuries and it just feels like they've just reached the end of their rope. And you kind of have to credit them because it's really hard to mentally get a team to go all the way to a champions league final and all the way to the end of the premier league and lose both. And then the next season, you just rebound and get the goals you wanted. So for him to be able to do that is incredible, but it's also really mentally taxing. And I think that's what we're seeing now is, especially in the kind of season we're having, that they just don't have it in them to just go again, basically. And that really made this one a six-pointer all of a sudden because they're on the outside of top four looking in. And when you have a game like that, it isn't necessarily a must win. But if you do win, that gives you a massive advantage in everything because there's no way they can get those three points off of us now. So that gives us way more control of our destiny, whereas they have to figure it out. And, you know, honestly, if we're talking like, Realistically, with Liverpool, if they want Champions League, they might have to win it. And I, I don't know. I don't really think they might have that in them, but we'll see. It's it's just a very interesting place they're in as a team, and just the end of a cycle and whether or not Bop can redo it. And we saw Guardiola redo it even this year. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, I mean, we're going to see what happens with them. But, you know, as far as I can say, I, I don't really care what happens to them at this point. <laughs> it's They've dominated for long enough. And uh, they're just one of those clubs that I hate to see us lose to. But, oh, I wanted to let you get a chance to come back to what you were saying earlier about, you know, some of the lineups not being all that, uh, un, you know, not really being surprising. It's pretty expected. As well as talking about some of those points that Travis just made. Do you think that we're you know, firmly ahead of Liverpool and this is not really a concern for us anymore in terms of the top four race? Or do you think Liverpool are still somebody we should be worried about in the top four? 
why I wouldn't write them out of the top four race, I don't think they should bother us anymore. I I think the, the match was quite comfortable for us, considering how dominant Liverpool were last season. But like Travis mentioned, it's difficult to go for pretty much four years, really. To go for four years and non-stop. I didn't expect them to come back. I remember a lot of people made the quote that if they didn't win the league in that 18-19 season where they lost by one point to City, they weren't going to win it again because no one expected them to do it again the following season. And they did. And no other team in the league was ready. They did it all over again. When everyone was dropping points, they were winning. City was dropping points, they were winning. City was winning, they were winning. It was quite impressive. So I wouldn't write them out of the top four race, but I also wouldn't be looking over my shoulder at Liverpool because we are in a better position than they are. We are getting points, we are winning games, they are losing games. So it's not really... If, if, if it turns out to be a fight between Chelsea and Liverpool at the end of the season, then something has gone horribly wrong somewhere. Just to loop back, we're seven points ahead of them now. So the way we're playing right now, the most we drop is two points. We probably shouldn't really worry too much about Liverpool. No, especially with, you know, we, we played Everton uh, on, I mean, yesterday and as well as before that, I mean, you, you look at our schedule even after the Liverpool game and our schedule gets much more favorable up until the last four games where we play City, Arsenal, uh, Leicester, and I can't remember the last, I can't remember the last one we play. It's another decently difficult game, but however, our schedule gets much more favorable the rest of the way. And I think that's really what makes me say Liverpool are out of this. I think they're out of the top four race and they need to really just hope for a top six run. But that kind of gets into the Everton match, right? So the, the narrative coming in was, you know, whoever wins this match is going to really kind of control their own. I hate to use this term. I really do because destiny kind of makes you think it's predetermined. But really, I mean, whoever won that Liverpool or excuse me, the Everton Chelsea match was going to be able to control their own destiny for the top four, assuming West Ham don't continue to be on the run that they're on, which their schedule gets much more difficult starting with Manchester United. Their talisman right now with Jesse Lingard cannot play in that match. So I, I don't really know if anybody else fears West Ham. But anyway, going into the, the, the Everton match, there's a lot of changes that were made for this one, specifically with Kai Havertz getting his first inclusion into the starting 11 since Thomas Tuchel has been in charge. And, you know, as well as that, we saw uh, Kurt Zuma coming into the fold and we saw Kante and Gol Kante drop for this one. And I think that for me, you know, it was a little bit of a surprising lineup. We also saw Ziyech getting swapped out. And, you know, the biggest thing for me was Mason Mount was on the bench. Regardless of how anybody feels about that, I do think Mason has played, you know, more minutes than anybody probably except for the goalkeeper this season in the Premier League. And you, you have to give him some rest here and there, especially because we, we're going to have an incredibly high uh, intensity game against Leeds coming up on the weekend on Saturday. And it's also the early match. So we have the least amount of turnaround for recovery on that. But going into the Everton match, what I noticed is in the first like 16, 17 minutes, really, Everton did not have any. <laughs> any impetus at all in the match. I mean, they were behind it and we were controlling it, setting the tempo. And as the game progressed more and more, it just seemed like Chelsea became more and more dominant, in my opinion. And we, we completely shut out Richarlison. 
you know, Sigurdsson, the likes of them. And, and really just, I thought Everton, the whole match, I never as a fan felt at any moment in the match at all that they were going to score a goal. And with that said, I think that's what gives me a lot of confidence that with the result and not only the result, but the performance, I mean, I don't see the, you know, Everton or Liverpool catching us for top four now if things continue. But uh, I'll pass it over to you, Ola. What, how about you? Like, what did you see from the Everton match? For the Everton match were, for the most part, comfortable. For other parts, were dominant. I liked the movement in the final third. I really liked the movement in the final third. And I think that was the first time I was actually satisfied with our movement in the final third. And that led to my tweet after the match. When, when I made that tweet, I was mainly referring to the, the, the front three. When I said, you know, I wouldn't mind that lineup for the rest of the season. And I knew we'll have a problem with it because it didn't have Mount, it didn't have Kante. But I was, I was, you know, I was focused on the front three. And we, I mean, I'm a big ZH fan, but I've not seen that kind of movement from the front three since Tuchel came in. So when I saw that, I, it, it looked like something that we could keep up against other teams. Because I, the, the lineup we saw yesterday was, you know, it had Kovacic, it had Jorginho, and many may have felt, oh, well, why is Kante not starting? But we know Jorginho is likely to start in games where we're expected to have the ball. So I am not surprised seeing Jorginho in that, in that lineup. I like what I saw from Otsnoda on the left. I, I like what I saw from Kai Havertz. I was really impressed with Havertz. I was impressed with with Vienna, they they did the rotation well in the front, and you know Everton wasn't really sure who to who to face, who to who to mark, who to not mark. It was it was quite it was quite interesting to watch. We didn't create as many chances as we would have loved to, but as time goes on, the chances will come, and it was it, we were quite comfortable, and that is for me very important to be comfortable in games like that. Because to be fair, in the in the reverse fixture, we're also comfortable. They had 28% of the ball, and we still lost to one area though that Thiago Silva missed and Mendy panicking and running out and fouling him. Uh, like Travis mentioned, at no point in the match did I feel, oh, we they are getting better chances than us, or they are going to score, or we might not win this, you know. So it was it was quite interesting. Yeah, we were really comfortable in the match. And I think you're right. We weren't creating a whole lot of chances. And I, I kind of felt that when I rewatched that we weren't, we weren't super active in the game, but I don't feel like we needed to be super active in the game. You know, we, we had what we needed to beat them and break them down. You know, I predicted a 2-0 win. I didn't expect 4-5 like the last time we played them at the bridge. But Travis, how did you feel about the Everton match? Yeah, so I know a lot of people on Twitter especially were saying this is our best game with Thomas Tuchel. And I mean, it was solid, but I didn't really think it was necessarily our best for a lot of the same reasons we've already talked about. You know, creating chances is hard. It's honestly the hardest thing to do tactically. And I I don't really want to knock Tuchel too much for it because some of it is down to the individual players, but we don't. We still aren't really creating a lot. Our transition's amazing. We're moving the ball constantly. We're getting it forward. That front three was just completely fluid. But by the time we actually get to the point where we could maybe make a shot, it's usually a really bad shot, or we never get to that point. 
So that that is a concern of mine because if you look at where our goals are coming and I've kind of got in trouble with the Pride of London guys over this a little bit, where our goals are coming from, it's not the strikers really. It's not really the attackers. It's, you know, we have wingback scoring. We have midfielders scoring. You know, we're scoring off penalties, a lot of penalties. We have a lot of penalties all of a sudden. And, you know, own goals. And it just none of that implies that we're actually creating anything that is sustainable in attack. So, on the one hand, while our defense is amazing, it doesn't look like it can be breached. You can't win a game through just defense. You can draw a game and you can prevent the opponent from winning. But if you don't score a goal, you cannot win. So, I guess my main concern from that Everton game was. I guess it's just an understanding now of who do we really expect in this team to score before a match? Like, is there any anyone we can point to to say, like, all right, today this is Timo Werner's game? Because if it's not, when he shoots it right at the keeper a few times, I, I think Kai Havertz probably gets us there because I thought he was fantastic. He has the movement to act like a 10 and drop really deep and create if he has to, but he's also big. That, Goal that was called off was a handball, but that's exactly what you would want Drew doing as a target man is, you know, just dropping that ball and putting it into the net. And if we can have that plus a guy that can, you know, drop deep and create space for someone like Timo Berger to cut in, that's fantastic. The problem is when those guys cutting in don't score or, you know, when it is a handball for Ty Hobbits. So I think we need to really figure out the right combination of our front three. And I think Mount and Hoverts are probably in it, even though it's only really been one game for Hoverts, but I have no idea who that third person should be. And we talked a little bit earlier about, you know, knowing the lineup. The athletic article today said, you know, Thomas Tuchel averaged almost five changes a game. And most of that, I would wager, is in that attacking three. I don't think he knows the answer yet. I mean, when Pulisic came on, none of us really understood how he was coming on. We just knew he was. And it seems like Tuchel doesn't really know what he wants to do with Pulisic. We know he doesn't know what he wants to do with Tammy Abraham because he hasn't even made the bench. And he's our, well, he's not the highest scorer anymore. He's joint highest with Georgino now, which is ridiculous because he's only doing penalties. But I mean, it just seems like we don't, quite know what we're going to do. I think that is what we need to really fix. And luckily we have a little break coming up, not just this week, but also the international break where hopefully we can figure out who's going to get us the goals and not just, well, someone will do it. Yeah. I, I let slightly disagree with you because from what I saw from the way, from the way the match played out, the reason why I tweeted that was, our movement in the final third was really, really good. And it felt to me like we're creating some interesting chances. To be, to be fair, the chance creation we're looking for, we all think about City. Well, I think about City. It's important to note that, you know, City have a player who can just, you know, can just create those chances. He doesn't, he doesn't really need that much movement around him. All he needs is to find the person. 
he sees the person, he, he, he picks out the pass. Hell, City play without a striker sometimes and still create plenty of chances. Yeah, so we, I, I think there was, there was something about, I think there's something about Kahavat as a false nine. I have tweeted several times that I don't see Kahavat working as a false nine. Probably because of the Premier League, and when he played wide in the first game he played, he, he, he looked ineffective. To be fair to him, it was against it was against Liverpool. So I mean, many attackers who look ineffective against Liverpool, except they are that special. You no, know, we created five big chances in that match, so it's not surprising there that we looked as comfortable as we did. I think we would we would get that fluidity. Is is the fluidity we need? The problem is we have so many attackers and there's only space for three. And even in that space for three, there's players who are not droppable. You are not going to select an attacking three without mounting it. He likes Vena a lot, so it's almost five attackers fighting for one spot. If you move for another to wing back, you still have the same problem because with James, we need with James in the side. We need Otsnador in the side. Ziet would create chances. Pulisic is a very talented attacker. You know, there's so many attackers that we haven't even included in the side. So I think, for me, what I see is, because the defense is solid, even when our attackers, maybe they look to be running out of ideas, the attackers that he trusts, he can just bring on Pulisic, bring on Harvard, or bring on Ziyech. It's It's... It's not really a good... It, it is a good problem to have, but I wouldn't want to have that kind of problem because you have six starters fighting for two spots, more or less. So whoever plays would like that he's playing. Whoever is not playing would not be happy. And there's really not much you can do about it. We've lauded his man management and he is trying his best, but players like... I, I've, I've seen reports of... Well, I've heard rumors of Ziyech you know, threatening to leave because he hasn't really claimed a spot in Tuchel's side. And I don't believe it. I think it's nonsense. But, you know, I see why people would try to make a story out of that because, you know, he came into a, a Premier League side. He was sparkling. He got injured. He got injured again. He has been struggling. So those, those things are sweet ingredients to create that kind of story. But I think I think the chances will come and I think because of the variety he has, the variety of attackers he has, he would always be able to freshen things up in the attack. And he has a solid base anyway. So it's just going to flow from there. I mean it's good to be able to take off Harvard and bring on Ziyech. It's good to be able to take on Mount and bring on police. So it's it's a good problem to have. It's just I understand why the players will feel why am I not getting more opportunities and you can't ask the manager to bench mount so that you can get a chance to to get match fitness. Like some, some people say, Pulisic needs 90 minutes. Yes, he needs 90 minutes, but why is he going to get it? There's no, there's no 90 minutes in a vacuum. Someone has to be benched for him and I wouldn't bench mount so Pulisic can get 90 minutes to, to see what he can do when he, he has enough time. So those attackers will just have to play their way into form with substitute minutes and they just have to impress whenever they get the chance. You raise raise a really good point that it seems like Werner and Mount are the two unquestioned starters in this front three. However, I don't know if... I'll pose this question to both of you. 
who do you think is the best front three that Chelsea can play going forward consistently for the rest of the season? Do you want my biased answer first or my realistic answer first? <laughs> we'll go with bias first. All right. Bias first would be Mount, Kai Havertz, and Tammy Abraham. Because, you know, when I watch Tammy play, he really fixes that issue of only one person scoring or everyone scoring, but you can't really count on it. He has that ability to even, I know there's this perception that he doesn't do enough off the ball, which is nonsense because he's constantly shuffling players around in ways Drew can't. Timo Werner is a very hardworking player. He's just constant motion, but his ability on the ball, I question sometimes. You know, he doesn't really receive the ball very well, and his shooting is kind of going back off the boil again, if it ever really got back on at the beginning. So that would be my biased answer. My non-biased answer would probably be, yeah, Mount and Timo and Kai Roberts. Just because I I don't see Tuchel getting away from Timo Werner being able to not only just be center but cut in from wide and go wide. I think those three would give us the fluidity he's kind of looking for, and that probably leaves Hudson Odoi back out on wing back. I, I like James there too, but if that's really becoming a hard decision, and that's one of the decisions you make when you go to three at the back. You just kind of shuffle the the problems you have. And into other areas. What do you think, Ola? That's a difficult question. We have like six of them. That's a difficult question. I think I like what I saw from Otsnada. I like what I saw from Kai Havertz. Did I like what I saw from Simon? Did I like it? I mean, he does get into good positions, and he it reminds me a lot of Morata, who. When he plays, he runs in behind a lot. He receives the passes, but he just can't finish them. I mean, against against uh, Everton, Timo missed two big chances. No other person even got into a position to miss that many. I mean, Alonso missed one, but it wasn't a big chance. But it wasn't defined as well, and I can see why. He was under a lot of pressure. <sighs> I It would be naive of me to hope that, you know, he gets those chances again and just scores them. <laughs> it would be naive of me. But I think where I think there's an element of Otsnodoy's enjoyment on that flank against Everton. I think it was I think Marcos Alonso played a big part because Alonso Alonso is actually very good at controlling the opposition defenses. Because sometimes he just hugs the, the touchline. And whoever is marking that flank cannot move because you can't just ignore him. You know what he can do when he has the ball. So he just pins them back. Or he switches with Osnodoy and goes infield. And because everyone knows he's a goal threat, they also can't ignore him. He's a lot like Giroud, but Alonso does it, well, I wouldn't say better, but he's more effective because he's not central. So when he just drifts to the edge of the box, Defenders have to pay attention to him, and the other person has a lot of space because he interchanged with Hotsnodoy a lot. I think I think Hotsnodoy's effectiveness was tied to Alonso. So if I if I'm selecting Hotsnodoy, Timo, and Kai Havertz, I'm 
kind of also including Alonso in that. But I, I really liked what I saw yesterday. So I'm I'm going to say Timo Hotzenador and Kai Havertz. For me, I posed, I think I was this morning, I posed the question, or maybe yesterday on Twitter that I asked, you know, is is Kai Havertz, Timo Werner, and you know, or is Kai Havertz a viable person to lead the line? And then you can fill in the blanks from there. It seems like Tuchel likes Werner and Mason Mount the most to, to co- accompany those two, you know, behind uh, attacking midfielders or inverted forwards, however you want to describe it. It's kind of the same role. But for me, if I had to pick a front three the rest of the way, if this was, you know, set in stone, I mean, Mason Mount gets in for me. That's just, that's just the bottom line. He was great under Frank Lombard, and he's been even better under Thomas Tuchel so far. So, you know, he, he's on the, on the uh, you know, starting 11 team sheet for me, no doubt. And from there, it gets a little interesting because this is where I might differ from some people. I don't think you can play Timo Werner against low blocks. I don't see what he provides as a, a wider player behind that forward or sort of as that inverted option. I don't see what he provides there if it's a low block. And a lot of the teams that we're going to face the majority of the way through the Premier League will be a low block. So I, I don't really see what he offers there. He's not like Hazard where he can play on the wing and create chances for others. He doesn't score as many goals as you would like five goals in the premier league this season Jorginho has more off the penalties i i I don't know i don't want to like go against burn and say he's not lived up to what we thought he would but i thought he would provide a little more than he has and his his rate at missing 1v1s i saw it on the timeline on twitter uh some i think it was uh, aaron smith um graphic designer that said he he got his uh a customary you know Every game he misses a, a 1v1 with the keeper. And so that's where I think I have to say, I don't know if Werner is the right option unless we're playing teams that are going to give us more space in behind and try to come at us more. And Everton did that. They played a much more attacking lineup if you look at their forwards and midfield than they normally would against us. So I think I would say Mason Mount's number one. And this is where things are going to get a little interesting for me. I think you need a creator in our team because we don't have somebody who I think has that great decision-making if you look at the team that we played against Everton with. And if you look at the stats, and I know stats are a, a buzzword right now for you know discrediting people, I, I think Hakeem Ziyech gets in. When you look at his numbers for big, big chances created, key passes created, shot-creating actions per 90, and goal-creating actions per 90, he leads the team and he's barely played. So I think with an embedding period is, uh, that he'll have through Thomas Tuchel, as well as he's even admitted in an interview that he has both physical and mental fatigue from this season because of injuries, tactical changes, and new management, I think if you give him time, he might be able to be that player that can provide those creative opportunities for us. So I would say that you have Mount, Ziek, and possibly, I would say up front, it's going to be Kai Havertz or Tammy Abraham. And if I had to choose, if I'm biased, it's Tammy Abraham right now. If I'm unbiased and I look at how Chelsea Football Club operates, it's probably going to be Kai Havertz. I think that's who I would choose as, as the front three going forward in more of a false nine setup. But, I mean, there's a lot of disagreement. Hakeem Ziyech is not a very favorable person right now in the fan base. And I, I've heard things that he just looks like he doesn't care about playing for Chelsea Football Club. And, I, I mean, that's, that, that's non-contextual terms. I don't know how you define um, I would just ask somebody to say, how do you define doesn't care? 
and then I, I, I think that the answer would devolve. Asking the question answers the question, I think, in that, in that regard. It's going to devolve very quickly. That's kind of where I sit on it is, is that might be it. And if, Hakeem's, and if I had to pick any rotations, it would be Ziek swapping out probably for Kai and then moving Tammy up front. So it's either going to be for me, it's going to be Mount, Ziek, and Tammy, or it's going to be Mount, Kai, and Tammy going forward. That, that's who, how I see the best options. I know that you know people might say you're dropping Werner, or one of our most expensive signings, our, our you know, supposed number nine, but it gets to a point where I feel like he just misses so many 1v1s. What does he do to create opportunities? And you can say, well, he has a lot of assists, but some of these assists I see him play, it's like he's just putting a ball in the box that looks like a shot and it just comes in, you know, a, a shot, uh, you know, turned into a cross that comes into a goal. But if, if teams are going to play like Liverpool and Everton did and allow us more space, then he's a better option. There's a little more interesting questions going forward, too. There's also the issue of the midfield pairing. Have we seen now over 11 games to suggest that, 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 that you know, Jorginho Kovacic is enough to convince us that this is a viable option? Or, again, is this just a matchup-dependent thing where if teams are going to come at us more, you have, you have N'Golo Kante? Paired with uh, Jorginho, that's who I I think he pairs best with Jorginho because Kovacic and Conte both kind of do the same thing. How how do you both feel about a midfield pairing going forward? The, the thing I wanted to say was, I think Mount is a key player for Chelsea. I just don't know if that is in the front three. See, whenever Mount plays that attacking midfield role, there's a lot of things I see that I just feel ah. Uh, for one, he doesn't release the ball on time. It, it, this is going to sound like criticism of Mount, which there's some criticism in it. But I just feel his playing style, when he's running forward, I don't want to say I get N'Golo Kante vibes. I just feel he's more suited to play a, a role where he's pressing and he's tackling and he's, you know... It, Kante also, also gets forward. Kovacic also gets forward. So even if you play in the pivot in this system, you will get you will get forward. But he just doesn't... He doesn't release the ball on time. He doesn't make enough correct decisions in the final third for me. So I think maybe Mount in the pivot. I don't know. Maybe. But I agree with you, though. Timo, Timo in, against the low block is... If he's not playing against Liverpool that is playing a high line or against Everton that would not just sit back all game, I agree that he will be a lot less effective, really. So I don't know where my own shot came from, but I just I just like what I saw yesterday. The Georgina Kovacic pivot is still a source of contention because many people don't want to agree that Jorginho is not useless. I think that's a, that's where the first problem is. I think many people don't want to agree that Jorginho is not useless. So they don't want to justify any selection of Jorginho over Kante, which I guess where they are coming from. At this point, we can't keep saying teams aren't coming at us, teams aren't coming at us. Because it's not it's 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 convenient for the narrative that when, when Kante plays teams when can when Kante plays teams come at us and when he doesn't play teams don't come at us. It's not that straightforward. So I think Jorginho Kovacic pivot are doing a lot more defensively and in controlling the tempo at the risk of sounding like a Jorginho stand, which I'm not. But they make a lot of passes, 
which in itself doesn't have that much value, but it seems to matter a lot to Tukul. And his system does require you to move the ball quickly in midfield. Not saying that Kante can't do that, but we've seen Jorginho and Kovacic do that very well. We've seen um, Jorginho withstand pressure. We've seen Jorginho dribble Zou out of trouble. And it does give me palpitations because I know that if it goes wrong, it will go horribly wrong. But he has done it well and <laughs> I can't really knock him for for what I am afraid of. So that's fair. But I, they, they passed against Atletico and Jorginho Kante played against Liverpool and they did well. So I think for 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 Tuko to put to trust Jorginho and Kovacic against Atletico and they, they played well. It means yes, it's it's a viable option that we can see going forward, and I won't be surprised if we see it more often than not. Yeah, how about you, Travis? For me, it's still viable. It's just it still has weaknesses that can be exploited, and I think Everton tried to do that in in the early minutes. For me, it looked like they were really focusing on trying to man mark Georgino and Kovacic, and we just eventually got going at such a speed that they couldn't maintain even that man marking. They had to take those players elsewhere. But there was at least a few moments in the beginning where they were marking Giorgino so much that he was dropping into the back three, making it, you know, three center backs and then Giorgino, which is just incredibly wasteful. And it's little things like that that just get me. And, I don't think that's necessarily just on him. There's definitely other things that can be done, but I think that's a weakness you have to consider when you're playing that pivot is our pivot staggers a lot. And if that player that's deepest gets caught out, or if that player highest gets caught out, there's a whole lot of space to attack. So you got to start looking at the players around them. Is Georgino the best idea when Hudson Odoi is the wingback? Kovacic, the best idea when you have Zuma behind him instead of Rudiger. Like these are, it, it's not as simple for me as just looking at the pivot anymore. You need to look at the players that are around them and how they fit together. And that makes it all way more complicated, I know. But I, I would agree that on most days, we're probably going to see Jorginho and Kovacic. And that's not going to be good. I don't know. If this is just kind of us seeing the last days of Conte and how we could use him, I, I would like to think not because he's still very useful, but we'll see. As for Mount and the pivot, you know, Mountain Rice, Euro 2020, 21, whatever we're calling it, that would be great. I would love to see that, but I don't, we've only seen it very little. And I agree. If you're going to put Mount in the pivot, you're kind of taking away his pressing. Even if it suits all his other traits, you're losing that, which I think that's probably too much to take away. So with Mount, you're probably best off keeping him as this 10 that can drop into midfield when you need it. Long-term, is Georgino and Kovacic the pivot that's going to take us places? And I don't really think it is because there's no one there able to create. And maybe our pivot doesn't need to create. Maybe it just needs to move the ball along quickly. But imagine if we had someone like Fabregas right now who could just plant that ball wherever he wanted 
to one of our forwards running in behind. We, I mean, people say Giorgino can do that. I've seen it occasionally, but he does it so rarely that it's not something you can really count on. But we'll see because I really that's what we need, which is my main hesitation about this. Not the defense anymore because I think we've got that pretty solid. I hate to be a cop out here, but I think it's matchup dependent. <laughs> you know, we're going to see Conte against games where it's more high intensity and teams want to maybe come at us a little more. I prefer, and I pose this, I think it's best to see Conte and Jorginho because they have kind of this yin and yang skill set. Essentially, they have diametrically opposite skill sets. And I think that is what we're going to use best. You know, we have Conte to destroy, Jorginho to dictate uh, against teams that want to come at us, right? You come at us, Conte destroys it, Jorginho gets the ball, finds the easy pass, starts that build-up play and keeps you off the ball. And, and against Everton, he had a great match. Against um, Liverpool, he had a good match as well, Jorginho. And I know he's a very divisive player in the fan base, and a lot of that comes back to what happened under, under I hate to say this, and I, I don't like to hark back to the, to the old days, but that a system with the two attacking eights and the lone DM, just it, it really broke Jorginho as far as his abilities. And, I, and that's not a knock against Lampard, because what I'll say is this is, in my opinion, most players are made or break, you know, it's make or break by the system itself and not necessarily their individual capabilities, right? Because you can have all the ability in the world, but if the system doesn't utilize those abilities well, you're not going to see the same output. So now that we see a system that's much more utilized for Jorginho and Kovacic, we're, we're seeing much better performances out of them. So in my opinion, you're going to have a Jorginho-Conte pairing against matches that Later on in the Champions League, where teams will want to come at us and knock out football and against some of the better dogs in the Premier League. But we're not, I don't think we're going to see Conte Jorginho in the average Premier League match. I think it will continue to be the Jorginho Kovacic pivot. And, and I, overall, it's worked really well so far, right? One sits back, one drives forward with, with Conte and Jorginho. One breaks up and drives forwards and roams around, while the other one sits and uses as an outlet to just kind of dictate the buildup play. Because what's essential about Thomas Tuchel so far is this slow, deliberate build-up play where it's, and especially what I noticed with him is this kind of wide, narrow, wide, narrow passing where it's going to go out wide, come back to the center, go out wide, come back to the center. And you see that a lot with how the wingbacks are used, right? Where we'll have that center mid played out to the wingback, that wingback charges into space and puts a cutback or a ball into that attacking midfielder like Mount or Werner who uses a cutback into the box. And that could explain why we're winning so many penalties as well is because it's very hard as a defender to quickly transition from watching a player come out wide and putting a diagonal cutback across the box. That's very difficult to cope with, especially if you have a player like, you know, like what we saw many times in Lombard in his career, that's sort of uh, arriving late to the party to win it overall. And, you know, I, I think the Everton match showed that and the Liverpool match showed that, right? Liverpool wanted to come at us, Conte Jorginho. Everton going to sit back a little bit more. Jorginho Kovacic. So I, I think that's where we're going to see things, to, you know, kind of evolve as we go on. But all of this is dependent upon Tuchel not deciding he wants to switch up the system, which gets to my final question before we do some leads predictions. I am a big proponent of three at the back. If you if you know much about me, that's that's how I see the game. That that's how I like to. That's how I'm going to try to play as a coach. I, I really like the formation itself, and I think it gives you a lot more freedom in terms of how you want to set up your attack. But it can limit you in other ways. But what I'll ask for you is this. 
is three at the back the way forward, not just this season, but possibly the rest of the, you know, Tuchel's management? Do you think this is going to be what we see the rest of the time is three at the back? And if so, who do you think are your three center backs? Oh, I'll start with you first. Last time we committed to three at the back, we won the league. So three at the back has its merits. And yes, Conte was exposed in his second season, but we look really, really solid now. And we finally found what to do with our 65 centre-backs because we've always had so many in the academy, on loan. I was just going to say, yeah, you're right. We, we could, at the start of next off-season, have eight potential quality options at centre-back. Exactly. So, And if we're playing in a two, well, we're always going to have a situation where two are favoured. You may want to rotate in pairs. And if you don't rotate in pairs, somebody will definitely miss out. When you play a, in a three-centre-back formation, because each centre-back's role is more defined and more streamlined, should I say, you can easily give instructions, okay, you handle this, you handle this, you handle this, and you can just fit in the path. In a two, your wing-backs are going to be attacking anyway. So oftentimes, you and your, you and your partner have to communicate really, really well. And now Christensen, who was fifth choice or fourth choice, depending on where you rank Tomori, now is, you know, first or second choice for Chelsea. So that puts us in a very weird position because we would all agree that Zuma was one of our better centre-backs, if not the best, under Lampard, and now he can barely get minutes. So it's, it's, it's weird down. I see a point where Tuku moves to a, maybe a 4-3-3 or something so that he can get more attackers and more midfielders into the game. But for the rest of the season, I see this three at the back staying. And I think our three would be Christensen, Azpilicueta, and Rudiger. Christensen, Azpilicueta, and Rudiger. I think that's a really, you know, that's a solid option based on what we've seen so far. How do you feel, Travis? Yeah, so I'm also completely behind three in the back in most circumstances. You know, it, just tactically, you can do the most with it, right? You could do things like Leipzig do, where it's a pendulum shifts the whole formation left and right. Or you could do things like Atalanta do, where that front three shifts so much from the left and right. And you can just almost always create an overload when you need it. The only thing reason I think we might change from it is it has two main weaknesses. The first is it's kind of weak on transition, which we can kind of shield ourselves a little bit with our counterpress. And you have to work a lot harder to create chances. You have to do a lot more movement and a lot more rotations with your attackers because when you're playing two in the middle specifically, those two can't really ro- move and rotate a lot. They could move within a square of sorts, but they can't really go out all the way to the wing like we used to see Conte after in the 4-3-3. So that, that's one thing to consider when we're creating attacks. And even if we went 3-5-2, then we're coming up short up top where some, somehow you got to create those numbers faster than your opponent, and that's very hard. I think the one thing that's really necessary for us to continue with it long term 
would be another center back like Osvile Cueta who can join the midfield or even go further than that when he needs to. Ideally, we would have, you know, more than one of those, but right now we only have Osby and we don't really know how much longer we're going to have him for. I know the Declan Rice stuff is cool, but that seems like a role he could play a lot like Marquinhos at PSG did. I, I can't really think of many quote unquote pure center backs that could overlap like Osby does, but I think that would be what would really solidify us staying in a shape like this long term. As for which three I would pick, it right now it would be the same. It would be Osvaldo Christensen, and Rudiger. And the only reason I would change is if, for some reason, we needed just long balls out of the back from Silva. Because Christensen doesn't quite have that. He's very good on the ball, but he doesn't quite launch it as well as Silva does. And that might come back into the conversation of, you know, who's our pivot and how does that affect the players around them? It's all very connected. It's all one unit now. I've seen someone suggest it, and I was heavily opposed to it. But as Biliqueta's role in that centre-back, it reminds me of Chris Wilder's but one portion of Chris Wilder's overlapping centre-backs thing, because oftentimes he goes around the wide player and serves as a kind of full-back. So it definitely needs to be played by someone who can play centre-back and play full-back. How, I was actually going to ask you a question, that how do you see Rhys James as a right centre-back? Because for me, I remember the, the Southampton goal where we all, you know, many reminded all of us why Zuma is a rubbish centre-back for something that was completely not his fault. But yes, they reminded us of why he was out of the lineup and why, you know. In that, when I rewatched it, in that clip, I noticed the gap widening, Aspi not doing anything. And then when Minamino gets in behind, just as the pass is about to come, and Aspi spots the danger and starts moving, Regime just stands there. It's almost like he forgets that he's a defender. You know, he just stands there, doesn't even move. And I think sometimes it, it happens to him a lot where he just forgets that where well, I'm supposed to be on defensive duty. For the overlapping thing that we need the right center back to do, he will be perfect for that. The problem now comes when it's time to defend. Because, you know, we, we know while each center back in a three, in a three at the back, has less work to do. Each centre-back's role is equally as important as in a two because if you don't do your job, there's there's a lot of gap. Because normally, it's, it's four that holds that back line. But when you are three and one person is not switched on, especially if it is the middle or even if it is one side, it can easily be exploited as we saw against Southampton. So I wanted to ask what, what, you, what you think about Chris James as a right centre-back because I don't know if it will work. Then again, I didn't know if Kahavas had first now walk and look at me now looking like a fool. So I'll just ask your opinion on that. Yeah, I mean, if, if I'm Gareth Southgate, that's what I'm doing for this summer because, you know, how else are you going to get all their right backs onto the field? And they kind of did it with Kyle Walker already where he was kind of a center back, kind of a fullback. But the overlapping... England have like 15 right backs, don't they? Yeah, I mean, like... Guys like Lamptey are injured now. Trent Alexander-Arnold's out of form. But even still, if you're really trying to get 
them on the field with their qualities, James as a center back works. Just just the same way Wilder uses overlapping centers. I, I, I do agree that defensively there might be some issues there, that he's still a little more raw than we often credit him for. And especially in the Everton game, if you listened closely enough, you could hear Tuchel just constantly yelling at Reese James specifically to you know make a run or even just for the teammates to get him the ball because he was in acres of space all the time. I, I think there's potential there. I think if you really wanted to build your own Osvila Cueta from within the team and you kind of wanted to solve the wingback issue with Hudson Odoi, you start training Reese James to be that overlapping center back for the next generation. I mean, in my opinion, three of the back should stay. That's how I feel about it. You know, you look back all of 2016, 2017, going back all the way to that, you know, five years ago now, it's been our most successful formation, this three at the back, right? All of our, even when we beat United in the uh, semifinals last year, it was a three at the back. And, you know, our, sorry, doesn't play that way, so on and so forth. I would argue we probably would have won Europa with three at the back or four at the back in that case. Uventus have won that, you know, late league titles with it. We've won league titles with it. Pep Guardiola adopted to it. Everybody adopts to it at some point or another. And I would say that's how I would like to play. And my back three preferred right now would have to go with, uh, I think Rudiger has been a phenomenal. Never thought I would say that because I used to kind of jokingly, you know, tongue in cheek, call him the hustle clown because of his, uh, his, uh, his Twitter posts all the time, like hashtag hustle. But the guy hasn't put a foot wrong out of the own goal, and you could argue that's both Rudiger and Mindy's fault on that one. However, Rudiger gets in in that left uh, center back spot, middle center back. It's got to be Andreas Christensen. He's not only presently our best informed defender at that middle center back spot, but he's also the the future in that of that middle center back spot as well. Because Thiago Silva, we've seen it time and time again. He, his minutes have to be managed so much. He's he's in his mid thirties. This is always a signing that was a stopgap, not the future obviously given age as well as how we've seen him. He goes on international duty and has to get rested just from flying to and from Brazil. And in going with the right center back spot, you know, as Quetta for the rest of the season, I think is the viable option going forward. I would like to see how that evolves. If we bring somebody else in, if, if, uh, Fikayo Tamori comes back, if AC Milan can't meet that, obligation or not obligation, but the option to buy him at like 24, 23 and a half million pounds, something like that. Regardless, that's, that's a pretty large sum for Milan given the financial struggles of Syria after COVID. And I would say that, you know, that's going to be my, my back three going for the rest of the season in, in preference would be Rudiger, Andreas Christensen and Azpilicueta, which for me is very surprising because Andreas Christensen was just, or uh, to put it to put it nicely in a back two under Frank Lampard, but in the back three, the guy looks he looks completely different, and he looks completely like he's revived his career. So, you know, I think these are good problems for Tuchel to have, as we've mentioned now with all of these positions we've talked about: defense, midfield, and, and, and the forward line. It seems that we have an abundance of options, and, and that's only going to increase as we go into next season, especially with the with the defensive options as well. So. You know, there's a lot to choose from, but I think that really goes into what Tuchel says with when he talks about this squad is that if you see a player on the field, it's because I trust him. 
And we've seen every player afforded a start under Thomas Tuchel, except Christian Pulisic. It's a topic for an entirely different subject uh, and maybe potential episode for a podcast in terms of what's going on with Christian Pulisic. I think he's fading away and fading away fast. And as a fellow American, that hurts to say, but I think it's the inconvenient truth as of right now um, that he's fading away. And I don't know why that is. Nobody really knows why it is. But at the end of the day, it's a Chelsea football club and it's, it's club over players. Um, and so just to say that, I wanted to go to you guys before we wrap up here. What are your predictions for the Leeds match on Saturday morning? So um, prediction for the Leeds game. Mm. The last game were very comfortable. And I think it was the first time we considered from our clean sheet streak. So it was, and then we, and then we smashed them 3 1. So it was nice. Zuma scored. So that was even sweeter. I'm always down for the Zuma group. Ah, uh, we know leads are going to, we know leads are going to press the hell out of us. And we know they are going to leave gaps behind them. I'll say 4 1. 4 1. To Chelsea. Yeah, Leeds offer a lot of opportunity to get chances on goal. So 4 1 is it's a little ambitious, but probably not overly ambitious. How about you, Travis? Yeah, so I'm just looking over their recent form right now, and it's giving me a lot of joy. They have one, two, three, four, five losses, two wins since February started. Bielsa burnout is real. I can't stand Bielsa. I can't stand the cult around Bielsa. I don't, I don't get the hype. Every, everyone that has been influenced by his tactics has gone on to do them better. And I, I just can't handle it if Thomas Stuckel's Chelsea doesn't just completely smash them uh, 4-0. I'm going to go a little bit less than four goals. I'm going to say we get a 3-0 three, uh, three win. I think we'll shut them out. We'll get two quick goals early on in the first half and then just kind of set up shop, get a counterattack and, and see it out. But I, I think that, you know, we're all in agreement here. This should be a pretty big win. I, I have to say, Bielsa has done a great job with Leeds so far. It is a lot of championship players in terms of honest quality. But I, I, I don't know if this is a, a style of play, given what he has, it is going to be able to take him across uh, uh, across the line and beat Chelsea in this match, even if it's at Leeds. So with this historic rivalry, I'm going to say it's a 3-0 win for Chelsea. We push on and we march forward to the top four. So with that uh, concludes another episode of the Balanced Blues Brothers podcast. It's been a great one. I feel like we've gotten a lot talked about on this Chelsea side episode after we, do, after we do the double back-to-back over beating Liverpool and Everton. I'll say that this is probably one of the happiest moments that we've had all season as far as our our form and results go. And, you know, credit to Thomas Tuchel for that. And I just think a lot of the changes he's made and things that he's done have really impacted us in such a positive way. Um, You know, we've seen a lot of defensive solidity, and even though we're not creating that many goals, we're still getting the results. So, you know, I I think a lot of credit needs to go to him, and he's really cracked the code for this Chelsea squad. And unsurprisingly, it's been with three at the back. So we'll see how this goes. Big match on Saturday against Leeds. We all think it's going to be a win. We want to thank everybody that's out there listening, as well as Ola and Travis Tyler for joining us for this one. And until next time, everybody, keep the blue flag flying high.